Welcome to the OWIC Publishing Offer Spotlight, showcasing books and offers who boldly proclaim the Word of God. Welcome back to the OWIC Author Spotlight. And today we're talking to Nancy Head, the author of Restoring the Shattered, Illustrating Christ's Love Through the Church in One Accord. Hello, Nancy. Hello. How are you, Tom? I'm very good. How about yourself today? I'm just great. Excellent. Excellent. And uh, today we want to talk about your book. And uh, this is called Restoring the Shattered, as we said earlier. And uh, give us just a a broad overview of what this book is about. And then we'll dig into more details in a bit. Okay, well, the book is somewhat of my story when I was a single mother and how the church came together to help us out when we were having very severe, tough times. And I watched how people from my own congregation responded. People from other congregations also responded. And it occurred to me that we do a lot of judging of each other in the Christian community. And that there are a lot of misunderstandings and misconceptions we have about each other based on our denominations. Mm -hmm. And some of those are valid disagreements and some of them are distortions and misunderstandings. And that if we could... Uh, find some co- where we have our common ground. Uh, we could work together to lift more people out of poverty the way Christians helped us come out of poverty. Mm-hmm. Kind of like from from the Bible, you know, just just helping one another is, is part of it. I'm thinking of, uh, is it Matthew, is it 25-ish or so, uh, with separating the sheep and the goats. Those that did this work, you know, is, is what's important. So yeah. before we dig into the fine details of the book, um, I like asking a couple broad overviews. So first, what is your approach to the Bible itself? Well, the Bible is the Word of God. It's the two-edged sword. Yeah. And it's the revealing of God's nature and human nature. And when we neglect it, ignore it, or reject it, we get we don't understand God's nature, and you can see that in so many people saying, "Well, if God's a good God, why does all of that?" Mm-hmm. But we also lose sight of humanity and human nature, and we tend, when we are ignoring God's word, to kind of elevate humanity in our view. Mm. And I and I I think there's a balance that sometimes is off because sometimes there's an overemphasis on the depravity of man in the church. And then we forget it's, it's all, man is also, people are also imago Dei, the image of God. And I think we need to keep that balance. God's word helps us keep that balance and keep our eyes on who he is and gives us peace and gives us direction in our lives, gives us guidance in just our everyday conversations even. Very good. Very good. And what is your, um, like, what is it you hope to teach people through the Bible? I hope to help us see Christians who are different from us in a different light without just saying, you go to that church, so here must be what you believe. And actually getting to know the person, and you know, there's so much that we have in common, the deity of Christ, the, the virgin birth, we disagree on the immaculate conception, we can, we can at least agree on the virgin birth, um, the deity of Christ, his sinless nature, his sacrificial death that he's coming again, and that the Holy Spirit is ministering with us today. So when we agree on those things, and we are agreeing on who God is and who we are, then we can go forth and we can do uh, community work. 
feeding the poor, especially today. And before I wrote, when I, when I published the book, it was before COVID. And I saw a lot of people saying things like, well, they deserve to be in that position because they made very bad choices. Well, who doesn't make bad choices at some point? And yes, we're supposed to learn from them and, and we don't want them to miss out on the lessons God has for them. But in the meantime, we're supposed to be helping people and, and guiding them to better decisions next time. And we can do that best by, by helping them and helping them learn how to avoid the traps that, that poverty, especially in America today, uh, really sets for us. Mm-hmm. So, and of course, today we can all go down to the food bank. We can all donate to the food bank. We can serve it to be that in particular today because, you know, there are so many people who, so many people who are in these really difficult circumstances through absolutely no bad decisions on their part today. So, mm-hmm. so you know, I, I think there's a, a door that's wider open, sadly, in, in some ways. And, and just the idea that I, maybe I should go check on my neighbor, even if I have to knock on the door and then stand back 10 feet. And, uh, yeah. yeah in a different direction are you okay do you have everything you need and you know mm-hmm. we get we get busy and in, in this this if you're still shut down lockdown this is our opportunity to maybe get to know our neighbors a little bit better instead of just staying in our houses and watching netflix yeah, absolutely and i agree so so just talking with you and i haven't talked to you in depth i mean you're in my christian writers group but we haven't talked in depth personally and just talking to you, you sound much more like a James Christian than a Romans Christian, right? If you've ever seen that that dichotomy, right? Um, I, yeah. Book of Romans is that, like that, that yeah. depth of theology, and James is like, let's get to the humanity of it. The reality is, as a Christian, we need both. We have to have soundness in our faith, but soundness in our faith without a faith of action, which is what James teaches us in chapter 2, is so critically important that— yeah, if your neighbors are lacking things, we we are the best ones right now able to do that. And with this pandemic and everything shutting down, so many people have so many needs and nobody knows about it. Right. And it's and, critical to do that. And we're, you know, and again, we're in our own houses saying, wow, this is bad. <laughs> you know? mm-hmm. And what do I need? And thinking about, you know, uh, buying emergency food supplies. And, and yes, I still hoard toilet paper. Um I wasn't able to hoard it early on because I didn't get on in on it soon enough. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but yeah. I'm still buying it. But the point is, you know, if I find somebody, it's not just for me. If I find somebody who has this need, that's where I can help fill it. Mm-hmm. And you know, I was reading an article on bartering. If, if you know, oh, this is not just here, have some food, but, oh, I, I know that you know how to do something. Maybe you can help me do this and I can help you do that. And that makes people feel, it allows them to use the skills they have, allows them to feel good about themselves because they accomplished something today and they help somebody else. So it's it's a, a giving them what they need and it's also allowing them maybe, maybe, maybe not to uh, to do something to make themselves feel uh, worth, worthy as a human being, mm-hmm. which is how God designed us to work. And so many yeah. people are deprived of work today. Mm-hmm. Sure. So diving a little bit more into your book, what is it that led to writing Restoring the Shattered? Well, it was very interesting to see the reactions of some people in my circle when one of my sons became a Roman Catholic. 
Mm-hmm. And and that was very interesting because there were so many people who were you know, kind of where I was, where, oh, isn't it crazy? He's going to church. <laughs> so, and and he, of course he's he's a very deep thinker, and he likes to talk about things. And so we had some very big conversations on what it meant to be Catholic and and how it was different from what he grew up with was the evangelicalism, but also how it was different from what so many people thought it was that, you know, the Catholics don't believe in grace, for example, mm-hmm. and, and the traditions of the church that, for example, infant baptism and what it means. And I, I go into some of this in the book that, you know, uh, evangelicals typically, but not always believe in believers baptism. You grow up, you become a believer and you get baptized to signify your belief. Uh, in Catholicism and some evangelical, even some evangelical um, uh, groups, baptism is a welcoming into the community and a commitment by the parents that you will raise this child in the faith. So with, a little bit more like um, like baby dedication that evangelicals mm-hmm. do. So I think this kind of understanding each other and seeing where we're, where our, our ground is common is very important. Yeah. There were other people who responded very differently. As, you know, as if he'd gone to the dark side. And, you know, what, it was very interesting to me because I kept praying for him to have a church, to have, a, you know, for his, his wife, his wife was, had been Lutheran. He had been evangelical and they couldn't quite, you know, going to his church, going to our church, going to her church. It uh, didn't quite seem like a good, you know, there was no good fit. And they started that, they started to go to the church uh, where I had gone. My father had taken me when I was a child. And of course, this goes back to my roots with a Methodist mother and a Catholic father. I was a little bit more receptive, having been part of the pro-life community, working with Catholic people for the cause of the unborn. I I knew a lot of these people. I knew they had relationship with Christ, that they were Mm -hmm. growing in Christ and seeking Christ's leadership. So I I just thought there was so much out there. I I was hearing things sitting in in the pew uh, from the pulpit that, you know, well, Catholics believe this. And I'm thinking, sitting there thinking, that's not right. So, so I thought, and also the idea of ministry, that so understanding each other and helping us work together. Another proponent of this idea at the time was Chuck Colson, Charles Colson. He'd recently died, I believe, when I started mm-hmm. doing my research. But he'd written Catholics and Catholics and Evangelicals together, and started that um, effort up with some Catholics and some evangelicals and wrote a couple of books and made a declaration and the, and the idea made a big, uh, had a big effect in Ireland, for example, mm-hmm. where I remember watching on television and I was so happy to be able to go to Belfast a few years ago where things are very peaceful. There was still a protest while we were there, but nothing blew up. And uh, like mm-hmm. I remember seeing on the news when I was a kid and Colson was part of that. And mm-hmm. so you know, when I wanted to get the book published, I sat down with someone at a conference and he's nodding and he's saying, this is great. And this is, and I didn't know that sitting across from me was the man who would edit the book, who had signed Colson's declaration uh, mm-hmm. previously in his life, in his ministry. So, so it was, it seemed all very God thing, but the idea of helping Christians understand each other, because that's the best way that we can find in our communities to gee this neighborhood needs a food bank oh really that neighborhood needs a clothing giveaway Mm -hmm. now 
and not having six churches in one area with food banks and nobody giving away clothing and nobody, you know, sticking. There are plenty of needs around and we can, there, there's a neat ministry across town from us. I love this ministry. When I was raising five children alone, shoes were a problem sometimes. <laughs> yeah, I bet. <laughs> and there's a store in a, in a church across town. You take your child there until they're, until they're uh, through the age of 18. They go in, they get a free pair of shoes, two pairs of socks twice a year. Hmm. Nice. But, yeah. And so, so you know, somebody comes to me and says, you know, kids have ratty shoes, you know, you know as deftly and, and tactfully as you might suggest, hey, there's this ministry across town. So, you know, maybe their need isn't food, but maybe they're taking all the money they have for, mm -hmm. for the shoes and spending it on food. So that's a cool ministry. It's called Angel Feet. I don't know how they came up with it. Well, probably somebody became aware of the need. That's mm -hmm. typically how ministries happen. But, you know, just knowing that's there, uh, instead of me opening my own ministry like that, I can simply direct people there. And I can donate, uh, you know, see a pair of shoes. We do this at our, our church before COVID. We've done this. Um, once a year in the summer, we collect shoes and socks. And people bring in shoes and socks. And we get right before back to school. And that that's a huge need. You don't want mm -hmm. your kids. You know, first of all, there are dress codes that you can't wear little flip-flops that you could put a kid in in the summer, which really isn't always great for their feet, certainly not year-round, and, and certainly not in this climate. But uh, so back to school is a, is a good time to, you know, to support that ministry and yeah. that need. Yeah, I, I think uh, what what you're getting at here is is there's always needs, and it's it's never a bad thing to align with people, even you would disagree with, in order to meet legitimate needs in the community. And I and I I know referring back to the to the Colson stuff, that is very controversial stuff, and different people have different views and opinions. And you know, I mean, I'll, I'll just say outright, I, I do disagree with his general premise on a few bases uh, for that reason, having not studied it as thoroughly as probably you have, but there's, there's some differences and some nuances that I have an issue with that, uh, you know, I don't mind being forth with and saying, but at the same time, you're right. We can't let those get in the way of interfering with meeting legitimate needs because that's what Christ calls us to do. And we have to remember there's the one verse where he says, you know, if they're not speaking against us, then let them, you know, let right. them do as they do. And that's an important thing that sometimes we there's times we need to stand firm for the truth. And there's times we need to s sit down and say, OK, whom can we align with to prevent this really bad thing from happening? And right. that's a difficult line to line it to is. figure out. It really it is. is. And I, I love the scripture that you mentioned, but there's also John 17. And this was mm -hmm. this is Christ's opportunity. You know, and I, I talk about this also, especially at the beginning of the book when I'm unfolding the getting to unfold the idea that he has there are times so many times christ went up up, up the mountain and went off to, by himself prayed we have no idea what he said mm -hmm. but in john 17 we get a clear picture of let them be unified let them be one mm -hmm. and it can't just mean the people in the building that i meet with and you know in looking at revelation this letters to the seven churches that those churches are to be as, as much as they can be in different locations unified. So in, in my son and I frequently have conversations about what this scripture means or that scripture means. And you know, we're not 
uh, ignoring it. We're not disregarding it. We are disagreeing about it. But mm-hmm. but we both, you know, often will you know, exchange articles from this person or that person, and not in the sense of, of keeping any kind of, you know, an anim, you know, animosity. Yeah. the animosity going going forward. That. But just kind of, oh, here's what this person thinks. What do you think about that kind of a mm-hmm. conversation? And and there, that, I think, is a, is a useful. That is the iron sharpening the iron. I remember uh, being a teacher uh, during my, one of my free periods many years ago um, at a school that had uh, children, from 30, children and staff from 33 different churches. And I'm sitting across the hall from the uh, Bible class that the chaplain, who was an Anglican, was teaching and the discussion was infant baptism. Mm-hmm. I sat there and listened to kids, kids defending their convictions about what baptism means. Mm-hmm. And sitting in a room where 33, you know, you have 33 pe- different people, there weren't that many kids in the room, but you know, so you have 15 people all representing a different view, uh, only hearing one view and only holding one view. And that view never gets any kind of testing that way. So I thought that was a beautiful thing. I teach again at a school that's widely represented. And, you know, occasionally you have the opportunity to uh, to have a conversation like that or to at least put forth your view and introduce the idea to a student mm-hmm. who may not have heard that before. And that's I, that's something I think we've been missing. And, you know, it's sometimes staying mm-hmm. in our own little circles. So. Yeah, and I, those kids, I think, all came out of that situation either more open-minded, I hope a little bit more open-minded, but also maybe a little uh, a little deeper in their own convictions mm-hmm. that, that they'd heard something different and maybe it didn't sound all that unreasonable. Yeah, I, I like focusing on, on that specifically because for me, there's a lot of people who have been raised in a single denomination and stay in that single denomination and just believe that denomination is perfectly right without ever understanding. And for me, you can't understand why you believe what you believe until you completely understand why you believe what you don't believe. In other words, I need to know the difference between, for in this example, the baptisms. I can't sit down and say, I believe in believer's baptism without completely understanding every viewpoint. And there's three views. One of those is baptism as believer's baptism, which, you know, do it as adults. In the Presbyterian model, we have what's called the covenantal baptism, which is basically like the rest of the Protestant world does baby dedications. But there are also the churches that believe you cannot be saved without being baptized to wash away original sin. That I don't have a problem. Like, I believe in a firm believer's baptism. I don't have a big deal with covenantal. But once you start telling me you got to be baptized to be saved, there's where we're going to cross some lines because, indeed, we can't do that. No, I, I agree with that, and and I haven't gotten any pushback on my son from that either. So, yeah. <laughs> but, so, yeah, and it's interesting. Well, what surprised me was that when they got married, they did they had been married already, and they had been baptized already, and they didn't need to, to repeat the ceremony to be considered Catholic. Oh, you're back. Oh, you were already baptized. Okay. Mm-hmm. So well, that would depend on the, the church, too, though. There's some Catholic churches that say if you have not been baptized in the Catholic tradition, you have to be. There's other churches that are more open in the Catholic world that say uh, will accept your baptism in the past. So there's right. differences. And, and, but typically you're coming from Catholic teaching and mm-hmm. 
that comes from above. So I, I found it very interesting also to look at, uh, especially with communion in the Orthodox tradition. I found the Greek Orthodox tradition very interesting as well. Um, they baptize by immersion, even infants. So that that's but but you don't have to be baptized as an infant. Um, it, it's mm-hmm. kind of interesting to to see. Uh, that is it's all the covenantal view and the the idea of this community view and it i i compare it a little bit to uh, two books that i read when i was growing up three books that i read when i read out some i read after i grew up but um i look back at uh well, actually most of them but anyway um uh the pilgrim's progress is this journey that pilgrim and then who becomes christian is on all by himself mm-hmm is having an individual journey and he's uh, he has associates he has people he comes into contact with but his journey is solo and then you look at the lord of the rings books and frodo is in a, a journey where he's seldom alone and if he is alone he's messing up because it's the community that helps him stay especially mm-hmm. sam Ramsey, helps him stay on the right path and go and finish the task that he needs to do and this came, the books that I read later came together when I was in eighth grade. I just uh, taught this book this year to seventh graders, seventh and eighth graders. It's The Lilies of the Field by um, uh, the last name Barrett. I can't remember the first name. But um, they, they made a movie with uh, Sidney Poitier and very, some very, very bad theology in the movie. But the theology is, is not represented in a skewed way in the book. But it's very interesting because the book is um, Homer Smith, an African-American man in the 1960s, on a, a lone journey, like like Christians in uh, The Pilgrim's Progress. And he's traveling from place to place, and he comes, he's a handyman, he gets some money, he goes down the road. And when he feels like working or needs money again, he works again, and he's feeling free, and of course this is a, a time coming, America's coming out of segregation, and he's feeling the, the in, this independence of uh, working when he feels like it, not working when he doesn't for the very first time, he's loving it. Mm-hmm. And he stops and helps some nuns, um, the community, uh, fix their roof. And uh, the mother superior takes him uh, across the way a little bit and says, you you will build me a chapel. Mm-hmm. Uh, you build us the chapel. And she's uh, she and her uh, sisters have escaped from behind the Iron Curtain. So, you know, there's the, the theme of oppression in here, but the idea is that one day Homer Smith will continue on down the road in his lone journey, and the community of the nuns will continue in their community, serving their community, uh, spoiler alert, with their chapel, their chapel, and, um, and these two communities melded for a time. It's, you know, Homer Smith didn't become part of that community, but he worked with that part of the community. Mm. And he ministered to these people, and they ministered to him. And so he was changed when he went down that road on that lone, on that lone journey. And they were changed because he came and stayed with them. Mm. And it's a beautiful picture of Lord of the Rings and Pilgrim's Progress and these two beautiful historic traditions mm-hmm. And our hearts serving Christ. Yeah. That's, that's what it's about. 
And that is illustrated in the life of Christ himself, as you said. There's times he's together with his disciples, and you can see that there's times that he needs the comfort of those disciples. He takes Peter, James, and John with him into the Garden of Gethsemane. He takes yeah. them up to the Mount of Ascension. And but then he'll oftentimes also go completely alone. And that should be the model of the Christian. We need to have that time directly to connect with God alone, but we need to come back into the community. And then the community must be doing things, which is meeting the needs of its community. And as churches step up for their communities, then we see less need for social programs. And things generally go better when government stops getting involved and the churches get involved instead. (laughs) I explain that in depth with a couple of examples. When I was a single mother, I got a job working part-time at a bank. And I uh, worked through a few series of babysitters. And I uh, met a woman who went to my church who said, hey, my kids go to the daycare center. And it's subsidized. And so I got my kids in the daycare center and I went from paying 40, 50, $60 a week to paying $5 a week with my subsidized mm-hmm. daycare. Yeah. They had good care. They had good, but when I decided to go to college to, for, to better our state, I lost the subsidy, subsidization and I'm paying $48 a week. And so the government wasn't supporting me and my, self-improvement and my elevate, you know, uh, my plan to elevate us in our mm-hmm. lives. And guess who stepped up again? Women of the church. Mm-hmm. And the, uh, the beautiful irony is that before all the kids went back to school, you know, in, were in school full time, there was still half day kindergarten. And so my youngest son is in half day kindergarten. All the other kids are in school. The, the need for care is minimized. And there was a, a lady from church who got the son after church, after school, after kindergarten, and kept him in the afternoon and would not permit me to pay her more than $5 a week. Hmm. A beautiful picture of, you know, what I was paying for yeah. subsidized care. I'm now getting to the same. She wouldn't let me. Um, and she, and she, I know he was eating more than $5 a week, but it was her ministry. Hmm. And when the church stepped up. It allowed me to progress in life with, to get a four-year degree. It allowed us to go forward instead of being stuck in a place that the government approved of that would have held us down and kept us mm. back. Absolutely. Those, that's excellent examples. Um, are there any other examples? I think we really beat to death the next question already, which is how is understanding your book important today? And we've already gotten to that one really well. Uh, are there any other examples you want to uh, illustrate from the book before we wrap up? I have a, one I, I just love, and it's the, this old, surly, retired Marine colonel who runs the food pantry down at the um, Assumption Chapel across town here. Mm-hmm. And he told me this story one time. I changed his name in the book because I know he, he hates to have the spotlight, but he loves to do the ministry. So he had this woman who was coming, a teenager, with three children, and now I know where all our minds just went, same place mine did when I heard this story. Teenagers, three children. Well, no, she was married. And so these these kids got married, dropped out of school, and she's coming to the food pantry. And he realized what I have here is a man who can work in construction and who is skilled. But he doesn't have a high school diploma, so nobody will hire him full time. And he got to know this woman and and a little bit enough and got 
he talked to the husband and encouraged him. And he didn't just say, you know what, go get your GED. What he did was he walked through, he, this is the key too, you can't just hand food out. Mm-hmm. And that's not what he's doing. He, and it looks like you know, food's coming into this place and food's going back out. And that's all that's happening here. It's not all that's happening here. He got this guy through, helped him through this GED. And when he got it, he called all the prospective employers and said, hey, I know so-and-so's worked for you part-time. You know he's got his GED. You should hire him full-time. Well, guess who doesn't come to the food pantry anymore? And I saw this when I was getting food stamps and not getting my daycare anymore and things like this. Is This looks like it's designed to keep mm-hmm. me here. Yeah. And he's got a program that in, in his in mind, he's watching for opportunities to get people out of here, to mm-hmm. lift them up, make them independent. And the cool thing is that when you become an independent person and you're taking care of yourself and you're taking care of your wife, you're taking care of your three kids, that you and you, you know what? Hey, I, I remember the food pantry. Remember the food pantry? Hey, we, we got we got a pile of extra canned green beans. Let's take them over to the food pantry. Take your empty egg cartons to the food pantry because farmers will donate eggs. And people have to mm-hmm. figure out how to get their eggs home without food, without egg cartons. Take your empty egg cartons to the food pantry. It's, you know, just it's so, so many different things that, that it's about lifting people up mm-hmm. and aiding them. To, to lift other people up and help other people. It's, it's a beautiful thing to watch. And I, yeah. lo- I love that story because that isn't just feed them, give, you know, give a man a fish. It's teaching them how to fish. Yeah, and I, I sense that many of the government programs tend to be designed to keep you there rather than move you beyond. And many of the, particularly the really good church programs will be designed to move you further. You're right. Um, and so yeah. that really is in and, of, in and of itself so critically important. Well, my, my food stamp um, person who was, you know, in the welfare program went for food stamps. And he said to me, you know, you don't have to work. You have a child who's under four. You don't have to work. And I thought, yeah, he's three. And if I quit my job and I don't have to work until he's four <laughs> next year, <laughs> Well, these people hire me. I might as well keep working. And I said, you know, I want to show my children work. Yeah. You know, even if it hurt me a little bit and in, in what I was getting, you know, they all turned into productive citizens and, and made better choices than I did here and there. And, and it's, mm-hmm. it's all been so. But that was interesting to me that he was essentially, and I don't know if he realized he was doing that, but essentially reeling me in and making me more dependent instead of helping me become more independent. Yeah. And again, that's in contrast with the attitude of the guy across the town at the food pantry where he's paying attention to who his clients are. It's not just passing out. If I took one of my kids with me, my kid walked out of that food pantry with, with candy or, or a treat or something because he didn't. And his, I mean, he just got up at four o'clock in the morning and went and worked there with the idea that no kid walks away here hungry. Mm-hmm. And, and it's yeah. a beautiful heart we've got to appreciate that heart yeah and that's I think so important to pay attention to what the local needs are mm-hmm. I've always told people you know find those local needs and and let's get out of sometimes get out of the churches a little bit and meet those local needs because there's 
oftentimes I've, I found doing in-church ministries, and I've done a lot of in-church, and I've done a lot of out-church ministries, and the in-church ministries, I'm preaching to the choir a whole lot. Out-of-church ministries is where you actually find a lot of human suffering, and they just mm-hmm. don't know where to go, and they don't even think to go to a church, and that's, well, yeah. that's the thing. I, I love the approach I heard. I went to a conference at a, at a church, not mine, but I, I, was, I thought this was intriguing, and the, the guy who came, I wish I could remember his name, but he said, we don't when somebody new shows up at our church, when we have them fill out the little questionnaire of who you are, we don't look for where places we can plug you into our programs in the church. We look for what the skills that you already have. And we ask ourselves, how can we prepare you to take that out into the ministry? Mm-hmm. Out into the community? Yeah. And what they did was they prepared people to do this kind of trauma training because there were, there was an influx in their community of people who were coming in from uh, other countries where there was uh terror and you know, terrorism and, and famine and all this stuff. These people were traumatized. So they they sent out these teams of people to deal with this trauma. And in the meantime, when a trauma happened to them, they were ready. And it wasn't come to our church and get our ministry. It's come to our church, get prepared to go out into the community. Sorry, I hit that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> to go out to go out into the community and help people who and so you're not just prepared by God to come into our church and do ministry through us. Mm-hmm. We are through God helping to prepare you to go out into the community and take yeah. the community to people there. Excellent. I love that idea too. Yeah, that's, that's very good. Uh, we are running low in time here, uh, but our guest today is Nancy head author of restoring the shattered illustrating Christ's love through the church in one accord. So we can find this on Amazon. There will be a link for that in the description here. Where else can you find the book at? Uh, Barnes & Noble, or you can message me through my website, nancyehead.com. Okay, nancyehead.com. Have a look over there. And do you have any social media you like to people follow you on? I'm on Facebook, Twitter, LinkedIn. I'm on uh, Pinterest, and I'm on Instagram Okay, and those will all be linked on your website too? Um, Most of them, yes. I don't know if the Instagram is. Okay. Well, we'll uh, we'll get connected to those. And the links for the website and the uh, Amazon link will be in the description down below. Head on over to the website for more details there. Well, thanks for coming on today, Nancy. Thank you, Tom. So thanks right. for coming along on this edition. And we will see you next time with another Author Spotlight podcast. Books and offers featured in this podcast are linked in the description. You can find this book and others at our bookstore at owicpub.com slash bookstore.